Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey Jonathan, how's it going? Hey, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you. We're recording this on Thanksgiving Day. Took yes, some time are. out in our family holidays to connect and catch up. What? Tell us what you're doing. I'm in Tupelo, Mississippi, as we always are. We go to Best Family every year for Thanksgiving. Right. So we, we come in on Wednesdays. We do Danvers on Wednesday nights. We do Thanksgiving with her family on Thursday. She goes shopping. And then on Friday, we go to the flea market. Nice. And we see her mom on Friday afternoon, and then we go home on Saturday. Excellent. That's every year. Every and year. I love it. Excellent. We typically stay in Wake Forest on Thanksgiving. Uh, we have every now and then done a quick trip down to South Carolina, but typically because we travel the week before, we end up staying around here in Wake Forest. And so uh, my parents are visiting. So we had a nice meal today. It's really good. Yeah. And both of us had a little bit of family time away. You you and Keith got away to Rancho Santa Fe, California. Yes. A pre-anniversary trip. Yep. Beth and I and the kids got to Pigeon Forge for a few days to relax before we came for Thanksgiving. So got a got a few days off and we had a good time. Yeah. So. Always good. Always good to recharge the batteries, get ready for the end of the year push. Absolutely. So to speak. All right. Well, we jump into it. Speaking of California, Amy, your byline on this story. Yes. Southern Baptists were represented well at ETS this year. Really, really were. This has become the norm every year that there's quite a large Southern Baptist representation at the Evangelical Theological Society. So it was meeting in San Diego, California. At best count, this was the sentence, according to account by Baptist Press, that means according to me building an Excel spreadsheet. So I think I got it right. 193 presentations were given. You realize we're counting on you for the counting here. I understand. And so that's why that little clause is really important, according to a count by Baptist Press, because that lets me lets me off the hook if it's not right, because uh, math is definitely not my strong suit. But uh, it was close to 200 presentations given over the course of three days. And it was a it was a great turnout, especially to be all the way in California. Lots of lots of people were there and a number of SBC leaders in the academy were presenting. We had one plenary address that was by Stephen Wellham. That's in the article that uh, is profiled. The theme was Christ in all scripture. So what happens is they, for those who haven't been before, and there are probably a lot of people who wouldn't want to go, it's very niche event. Basically, you're in this convention center setting broken up in lots of rooms of different sizes, and people are standing up and giving academic papers on all kinds of topics. And so what sounds enthralling. Yes. So what they'll do is they'll select an overall theme and a lot of papers are being delivered on that Christ in all scripture. And I'm guessing the plenaries really focus on that. Right. The plenaries really focus on that. And then they might build in particular, I would say the biblical studies and the theological studies sessions are going to have a lot of things built on that. But then you, you have a lot of other groups that are about Baptist history, or maybe they're about philosophy or missions, things like that. And so it will break off. Not everything is in that, you know, one main theme, but that it gives something that that is kind of a focus of the week. 
So they put this big program out. It's like 116 pages long and you just read through it and kind of pick which rooms you want to go to, what you want to hear. And people just sort of come in and out and you just hope you get a, you you hope you go into a room where the door is at the back of the room, not the side, because you could walk in when you're going to hear one paper and everyone stops and stares at you as you walk in. So it's kind of a, a fun thing, but there's room for a lot of awkward at an academic conference and, and it doesn't phase anyone. So, Shocker. Yeah. And then it's mixed in with lots of dinners and lunches. B&H puts on a great lunch there that I love going to every year. Southeastern puts on a dinner that honors scholars from other schools. And so it's just a great time and a good time to catch up with friends. A lot of people who maybe went to seminary together get to see each other. It's the only time every year. So it was great. But yeah, the articles there, it it hits on, I just picked a few papers to sort of focus on that maybe were parts of ongoing conversations in Southern Baptist life. So the plenary by Stephen Wellam put a little summary of that. Jason Dusing from Midwestern, had a paper about how we assess the modern missions movement, talking about the conversation that always goes on about was George Lyle or William Carey, you know, who was the father of modern missions or the first Baptist missionary. So he presented a paper that kind of talked about that, really talked about how historians look at things like that. Lily Park from Southern Seminary did a paper titled A Theological Perspective on Verbal, Emotional, and Sexual Abuse. It was very good, and uh, that's certainly an ongoing conversation. And then Miguel Echeverria from Southeastern Seminary was part of a session on raising Hispanic voices in American evangelical theological education. So very interesting things going on, and it was a great week. Southern Baptists were represented well. Now, two things. Next year, it is in Rhode Island. The theme is Christianity and Islam. Right. I'm going to start the Keith Whitfield for plenary session chatter now. Oh, my since, goodness. <laughs> I mean, he just wrote a book on it, right? I well, mean, he edited This a, other Freeze fellow. He yeah, edited. This Freeze fellow was involved yeah. in it, too. He but. edited a book on it. But there are a lot of people that could speak on this. Um, I'm an Ibrahim from Southern Seminary. There are a number of people. But, but, but he's not married to one of us. So, right, right. Well, I hope that, that your campaign goes really well. I'm sure. I'm trying. Yes. I'm sure that. I'm having buttons made. That could be something that that Keith could present a paper at for sure in, in one of the sessions, um, I would think, if he chooses to submit one. So it's always right. fun. Second thing. Yes. Our second thing. Right. Okay. Sec- second thing. What's the implication for ETS for those in the local church in the Southern Baptist life? So here's what you have to think about as you consider it sort of a trickle-down effect. The people who are coming to these conferences, when they deliver the papers, they're delivering them in front of their peers. And so this is a place for them to begin to present their ideas and the scholarship that they're doing. So some of the papers are very narrow. They're about one word in the book of Isaiah, you know, trying to wrestle with what it, what it means, or it's, a, you know, focusing on hermeneutics, things like that. So when they do it in front of their peers, then there are qu- there are question and answer times at the end. Maybe things that aren't as clear can get challenged and fleshed out. So this is a place for them to hone their skills and to work together to build collegiality. That helps them flesh their ideas out, which go into the classroom and train the future pastors and ministers and leaders. Amy, I appreciate the recap of ETS. I hope you all had a great time out there in California. And and 200 Southern Baptist papers presented, what like how? What kind of percent? Is that like two-thirds of the ones that were half? I think that's close to around 
25% probably. They usually have around the seven to 800 range. So it's probably a quarter of the presentations. That's a lot of presentations. It's a lot. It really is. Again, I'm glad you had a great time, you and Keith. And uh, thanks for writing up that story for us in Baptist Press. We move on to Mississippi, where a pastor has been indicted for rape right outside of Jackson, Mississippi. This was a tough story to put out through Baptist Press. It published this week. This is a Southern Baptist pastor in Pearl, Mississippi, senior pastor of Metro Grace Community Church, and is a staff member of the Rankin County Baptist Association. The indictment came through from the Rankin County Grand Jury on September 5th, alleging that Joe Floyd Steverson did willfully, unlawfully, and feloniously have forcible sexual intercourse with, and it gave just the initials of a person, a female human being without her consent on or about August 26, 2018. Yes, Amy, and Steverson denies the charge and alleges it was consensual. And there's a statement from the Rankin County Baptist Association. Not going to read that. It's about three paragraphs long. But he was arrested after the indictment and was out of jail on a $50,000 bond while awaiting a June 1st, 2020 court date. So the circuit court confirmed that to Baptist Press. So we'll keep an eye on this and see if there are any further developments on that story. And Amy, we have five state convention recaps, including one in Mississippi. We'll get to that one in a minute. But we start in Arizona. Yes. So in Arizona, they met for, it was their 91st annual meeting. They adopted a budget that increases what they will send to to SBC causes for the sixth straight year. So it was a $4,956,860.50 operating budget. And Don't forget the 50 cents. Yes, that's right. Don't miss the 50 cents. Um, That includes 36 percent that will go to the SBC for national and international missions and ministries. And that's an increase of two percentage points. Yes, it is. And officers elected in Arizona include Ashley Evans as president. He's the pastor of 22nd Street Baptist Church in Tucson. Robert Waldron was elected first vice president. He is a member of Country Estates Southern Baptist Church in Hereford. And George Lyman, pastor of Desert Shores Community Baptist Church in Bullhead City, was elected the second vice president. They heard a Centennial Vision report from Arizona Southern Baptist Convention Executive Director David Johnson. Uh, talked about how they had nine churches planted in 2018, with nine more so far here in 2019. A six-year low in the number of closed churches. That's something we've seen across the SBC, uh, where we're closing fewer, starting more, which is a good thing, Amy. Uh, we're, we're working toward that, and they only had seven close in 2018, so they were plus two in their church count. You know, if you start nine and close seven, that's plus two. And then they had a, an increase in baptisms with an average of 9.5 baptisms per church in 2018. So some good news out of Arizona, Amy, and we head to Tennessee, where the Tennessee Baptist met in Knoxville. Yes, they did. They met at First Baptist Concord. They had 998 registered messengers from 444 churches and 117 registered guests. They adopted a budget goal of $35 million. Their allocation to national and international CP causes through the SBC is 47.37%, and that's a 0.25 percentage point increase over last year's budget. Yeah, Amy and Bruce Chesser. The pastor of First Baptist Church here in Hendersonville, Tennessee, was elected president. Chuck Groover, who's a pastor of Victory Baptist Church, where I used to live over in Mount Juliet, 
Tennessee was elected Vice President Corey Kane of Maplewood Baptist in Paris. Not that Paris, the one in Tennessee, was elected second vice president. Uh, all of those were unopposed. And we had some resolutions. It looks like there were five resolutions. I think four that I'm seeing in this story are covered. The other one's one, probably the appreciation. The appreciation, one. yes. So one resolution supported life and Senate Bill 1235. One on adoption, foster care, and Tennessee Baptist Children's Homes. Uh, there was also one on release time programs for moral instruction in public schools. And then there was one, I saw some uh, conversation on social media about this one, a resolution denouncing critical race theory and intersectionality. That got a little bit of discussion the day that it passed. But another, there was another thing that was a point of discussion. Yes. But there was a motion that I wanted to talk about. Because I yeah. think you, as a Tennessee Baptist, would get behind this. Well, so I, I'd get behind it in theory, but not in practice. Okay. So, Messenger Ron Davidson made a motion that the Committee on Arrangements immediately begin work with the administration of the convention to relocate the summit to the Sevierville, Pigeon Forge, and Gatlinburg area on a permanent basis, rotating among the three cities. And his argument was that the majority of Tennessee Baptists live in East Tennessee and many people from across the state like to visit Gatlinburg and surrounding areas and that future meetings would be better attended. Now, it did not pass. A lot of people spoke against it, saying it's important to see every area of the state and to spread the meetings across Tennessee so people from all areas can be involved in the work of the convention. I, I get that. And I think, as you said, in practice, it, it, I understand why it was overwhelmingly defeated, why people said, no, we need to go around the state. But he makes a strong argument. Yes, I agree with him in theory. Yes. That yes, if you had it in, get, in Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg, and Sevierville every year, it would be higher attended. It mentions earlier in the article, this was the highest attended one. It's in Knoxville, which is nearby. Right. It was the highest attended state convention summit since 2016, which was where? In Sevierville. I was there. I yes. remember that one. So, so I have, I have yes. a question, though. If you put it there, would there be a problem with maybe register messengers, but with maybe not showing up? For the session, like no, not at all. Like people came, you can do okay. both because it's not and it's not as jam packed. Okay, yeah, you tack it on on the front end of the back end, and you're good to go. Because yeah. I mean, if you did it like we did, it was the week before Thanksgiving, so you could go do the summit, do a few days as well, and then you have the Thanksgiving break right after that too. So, I, okay. I mean, you've got a possibility to do that, but yes, it would probably have higher attendance. But sometimes right. higher attendance is not the most important thing. It's not just showcasing rest of the parts of the states, but making it easier to attend. Next right. year, you'll have a great attendance because it's going to be in the Nashville area, which is right. the most populous area in the state. And so, a lot of people love to go to Nashville. So you never know. But that, these yeah. are the kinds of debates that I show up for. I think that's a, a really interesting thing. And I'm not surprised that it was defeated, but also Same. I think it's an interesting suggestion. So yes, anyway, it it that is. was Tennessee. And I do wonder the fact of, like, you go to East Tennessee and you don't go to that area. I can see a motion that says if we go to Tennessee, if we if we go to East Tennessee, let's go to that area. I can see yeah, that. Yeah, because Johnson City is not the same as even Knoxville or Chattanooga. Chattanooga, great town, too. But it Johnson is City town. is yes. impossible to get to. <laughs> right. It's really tough. So it's in East Tennessee, but it's way up there. So up in the corner. It's amazing how far that is away from things. But anyway... So we moved to Maryland, Delaware, where they had their 184th 
annual meeting with 392 messengers, 94 guests, and adopted a budget for 2020 of $7.659 million. That includes $3.65 million in CP gifts, and they send on 48% to Southern Baptist International and National Ministries through the cooperative program. That is unchanged from this past year. And they elected Harold Phillips, the senior pastor of Pleasant View Baptist Church, as the president and as vice president, Glenn Swanson, senior pastor of Bayside Baptist Church in Chesapeake Beach, second vice president, Andy Ehlers, who's the senior pastor of High Tide Baptist Church in Dagsboro, Delaware, recording secretary, Stephanie Laferrier, a member of the Garden Church in Baltimore, and assistant recording secretary, Mike Phyllis, pastor of Fenwick Island Baptist Church in Selbyville, Delaware. This story looks really good. They had, it sounds like they had some great speakers and just a really good, encouraging time. Yep. Over to Mississippi, Amy. Yes. Yeah, so in Mississippi, the big focus was saying farewell to Jim Futrell, who is retiring after 21 years as executive director treasurer. So I know that was a an important and special time for the folks in Mississippi. They also approved a budget of will be forwarded to national and international causes through the Southern Baptist Convention, and this is up from 37.9% in 2019. Officers in Mississippi are Ken Hester, who's the senior pastor of First Baptist Church, Pontotoc, right down the road from where I am recording this. Pontotoc's just down from Tupelo. And quick story, Amy, Ken Hester preached a lot when I was at Baptist Student Union at Southern Miss in college. So I know Ken Hester. I've heard him talk several times. First Vice President Scott Thomas II, who's a senior pastor of North Oxford Church in Oxford, Mississippi, also just down the road here from Tupelo. And then second Vice President was Whit Lewis, who's the senior pastor of Longview Heights Church in Olive Branch, which is just outside of Memphis. And Recording Secretary Michael Weeks, pastor of Pleasant Hill Church in Olive Branch, also just outside of Memphis, and then Assistant Recording Secretary Jerry Bingham, Missions Director for the Benton Tippa Association in Ripley, Mississippi, also in Northern Mississippi. Like, all of these are like Northern Mississippi guys. Yeah. Nobody uh, from Southern, like the South part of the state is uh, represented on the, the board here. That's kind of fascinating how that worked out. Well, yeah, I guess just the North side ran this year. They also had four resolutions, but three of them were focusing on uh, sort of honoring people, appreciating, they expressed appreciation for First Baptist Jackson and uh, all that they did, as well as for people who served the outgoing president and others. They also recognized the ministry of Chris McNary and Urban Fusion Network in strengthening relationships among Mississippi Baptists, regardless of ethnicity or cultural histories. They did one for Jim Futrell, honoring his life and ministry as he prepares to retire. But then their one resolution that was kind of a statement about something was on the prosperity gospel, declaring the prosperity gospel to be a false doctrine and distortion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's always interesting to see how the state conventions, and you can kind of see patterns and things over the year. Maybe for our our end of the year episode, we should do, I can, I'll do up something that sort of takes stock of what we saw across states as kind of a final wrap up, just to demonstrate what different people were talking about. But in Mississippi, it was the prosperity gospel. Finally, up to Ohio, Amy, where they celebrated their 66th annual state convention meeting with 220 messengers from 104 churches across the Buckeye state. They passed a budget of $4.4 million and then some, uh, They continued to approve a 50-50 distribution of cooperative program funds to national causes, 
and elected officers Jeff Woolham as the second vice president, who's the pastor at First Baptist Church in Perrysburg. Ryan Struther, elected to another term as president. He's a pastor of Central Baptist in Marion. Reginald Hayes, first vice president, pastor of United Faith International Baptist Church in Columbus. Faye Rogers was reelected as recording secretary. She's a member of Northside Baptist in Newark. And Annette DeSecker, the assistant recording secretary, who is a member of Lincoln Heights Baptist Church in Mansfield. They also passed four resolutions, Amy. They did. They passed one on awareness and education for appropriate behavior. And that was encouraging church leaders to find resources, current education, and definitions regarding appropriate actions, practices, terms, and verbal titles in the areas of abuse, harassment, and comments with the opposite sex. So that would have been one that was really focusing on best practices for handling abuse. There was also a resolution on support of the cooperative program. And it noted that the Ohio Convention allocates 50% of CP gifts to worldwide missions beyond the state and expressed appreciation to churches that give 10% or more, as well as encouraging other churches to increase their mission support. They had a resolution on a call to prayer and action for evangelism and church planting in Ohio as well, and the traditional expression of appreciation for those involved in planning and hosting the annual celebration. So... As we've said, our favorites. Finally, Keith Risner, who's the senior pastor of Edgewood Baptist Church in Trenton, received the Darty and Dot Stowe Award and the 25th presentation of that award to pastors who serve faithfully, perhaps never recognized like those in larger, more visible churches. So a nice little award given away in Ohio. Congratulations to Pastor Risner. That's going to do it for our news and bring us to my favorite part of the week. This week in SBC history, Amy, blow our minds. All right, we're going to go back to Thanksgiving of 1962, and this is actually in the December 1st issue of Baptist Press. Uh, The title for the story was, His Sermon Preparation Didn't Cover Delivery. That was the headline, and it told a story about a pastor in Hawaii, Waipahu, Hawaii. He had done his training at Golden Gate Baptist Theological Seminary, now Gateway, but at the time it was Golden Gate. This uh, this pastor, Don Nicholson, did something. He delivered a early morning holiday devotional that was over a local radio station there. So it looks like it was maybe live. And so he's there with the announcer at the radio station, and they get this frantic knocking. And there was a couple outside. This is what the story says. A couple outside was fast losing their race to the hospital with the stork. I think that means that the wife was in labor. Well, so what if it, you keep reading, that's exactly what it means. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what it I'm just trying to figure out why they stopped at the radio station to knock and get help. That's what they did. That, and the, the I'm just funny trying to part, figure that out. Yes, the funny part was it says, the announcer closed out the program with quiet music while Nicholson left with the couple. He ends up going out to the car and he delivered the baby. The ambulance wow. gets there 20 minutes later. He had already wrapped the baby in a quilt. And there it was. So... I just loved this. I was looking for Thanksgiving stories and and uh, a lot. There were several that were of interest. Maybe they'll show up in a future this week in SBC history. But this is the one that jumped out at me was the pastor in Hawaii who was in the middle of his radio address on Thanksgiving Day and stopped to deliver a baby. And it all happened this week in SBC history. I wish they'd given the name. It would have been great to see if we could find that person because this would be about their 
57th birthday. Maybe maybe they're listening right now and would say, hang on, I was born on Thanksgiving Day in Hawaii in the back of a sedan and a pastor delivered me. Maybe, we, maybe we'll meet the person. That would be wild. And yeah. really, really fortunate for us to yeah. do that. So, But what a great Thanksgiving day and what a great Thanksgiving story. Yes. So. Those parents were thankful for that pastor. I tell you that. Yes. So that's really cool. Well, congratulations to them on their beautiful baby girl. <laughs> there you go. I guess. All right. Well, that moves us to our resources of the week. Amy, your resource of the week is? Mine is a very short video that I saw on Twitter. <laughs> and uh, it came from you. It was it was tweeted from your account, and actually Keith saw it today before I did. Yeah, and it was uh, your family looks like you guys are in a gym somewhere, and Ethan does this trick on the video. And as soon as I saw it, I thought that's my resource of the week because everyone needs to watch this video. So we're going to put the link to your uh, we're going to put the link to that tweet in the show notes, and it shows him uh, take he takes a football on the floor of the gym and sets it spinning and then kicks it, and it actually went into the basketball goal. The football yep. went through the basketball goal. He kicked it as it was spinning. I was quite impressed. Yeah, it was pretty impressive. I was pretty blown away. So yes, we had our Thanksgiving at a local church gym, East Heights Baptist Church, here in Tupelo, because we have outgrown the house that we usually meet in. So we've got okay. three or four different sets of family, and we have about 30, 35 people. So uh, Uncle Sammy, who's my my wife's uncle, his, he's an elder deacon, whatever, at East Heights Baptist here in Tupelo. So he's just like, hey, can we use the gym? Sure. So they have, you know, your old school gym, fellowship hall, all that jazz right there, and the, the big kitchen and everything where Aunt Nita can do everything and so we were in the gym. It was great because we had all this room. The kids can all play. There's about a dozen or two grandkids that just run around and play. And they were playing ball. They were playing pickleball and basketball. And they're throwing the football in the gym. And it was great. So and Ethan started doing trick shots with the football and, and nailed one. So it was pretty exciting. Well, I was impressed. So that is my resource of the week. Go to the show notes. Click on that tweet and check this video out. It's about 10 seconds. All right. What's your resource of the week? My resource of the week is a new movie that is out that I have not gotten to see yet, but you have. I have. So I'm going to make it my resource of the week because I need to go see it. It's called A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. It's the new movie with Tom Hanks playing Fred Rogers. So telling the story there, you can tell us a little bit about it because you've seen it. I have not, but I want to see it this weekend. I think the kids are going to go see Frozen 2 and I'm going to go see that. It is an incredible movie. It's one of my favorite movies ever, I think. I am a big fan of Mr. Rogers. I watched Mr. Rogers when I was a little girl. And then I watched uh, because the reruns were on when the kids were little. And I would uh, have that on for them. It's It's got a personal connection with me. But, you know, he was well known. And I have read some memoirs about him. He was well known for connecting with individuals, building very personal relationships. And in particular, doing that with journalists who would interview him. And so several books have come out about that. I had already read two of them. One's called I'm Proud of You by a, a, a journalist from Texas, Tim Madigan, who had, had reached out to interview him and had reached out to interview Fred Rogers and then built a personal relationship. Also, a reporter, I can't remember her name, but from the Christian Broadcasting Network, same experience interviewed him and then maintained a personal relationship with letters and things. This one um, is based off of a relationship that Mr. Rogers had with a journalist from Esquire magazine. I believe the um, 
The journalist in real life's name is Tom Juno, but this is, uh, I don't know if I said that right, but close enough. They, but they fictionalize it a little bit in the movie, but it really captures the connection that Mr. Rogers had with people and some of the disciplines that he built his life around. But really, really great movie. Um, and makes some, I mean, it, it actually makes personal connections with the viewers as well. It, it has you sort of reflecting on your own life. There are questions that he asks the characters in there. And it was really, really neat. Well worth going to see. I may go see it again. Wow. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to it. So it's my resource of the week because I need to go see it. There so hopefully go. I'll do that this weekend. So check that out. So, all right. Well, that's going to do it for our Thanksgiving edition of SBC this week. I hope everybody has uh, had a great break and we'll see you next week. See you next week.